Thank you, Krista, for that ministry and music. And appreciated that song selection. There were elements of those lyrics that were taken directly from Isaiah 55 that uh, I referred to this morning. And tonight I am doing kind of an application of the message that I brought this morning as we think about the Word of God. Uh, I do have handouts. Anybody in need of a handout, if you'd raise your hand, I'm sure someone would bring it to you. Anybody need a, a handout? Oh, you're all very good, and you picked one up, so that's great. Well, tonight, we consider an important verse for understanding how we're to approach the study of the Scriptures. Our verse tonight is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are two categories that spiritual realities fall into. <clears throat> they are defined as secret things and revealed things in this particular verse. Well, this is verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So what are we to understand about secret things? The secret things are those mysteries which are hidden from us. The secret things are the things that we do not know. Or, indeed, they are secret. The secret things are hidden things. They are things that are kept from us. The secret things are things that God never intended us to know. They are secrets. Secrets are not intended to be shared. Secrets are something that you don't want someone else to be aware of. The secret things are things which are the sole providence of God. For it says they belong to him. They belong to the Lord. We do not have the right to know them. They are not our possession. They are God's possession. And I have here an illustration of my mother's diary. My mother kept a diary. My mother was always a very private individual. She didn't talk about herself much, nor did she share her feelings about what she was going through, the events, the circumstances of her life. She had some hard times. Uh, she died of cancer and that whole pilgrimage through cancer. There were some issues in our family that were difficult to deal with. And my mother died. But she had this very large diary that she had kept. And uh, I was uh, the one that was entrusted with enforcing her will and this guarding of her uh, material wealth, etc., etc. So I had the responsibility for the care of matters after she had died. So as we were going through her effects, we came across her diary. And my sister said, that, I want that. And I said, well, why do you want that? And she said, well, I want to read it. <laughs> she said, there's so much that I would like to know about, about mom and uh, what made her tick, things that she, she never told us. And I said, well, you know, the reason she never told us is she didn't want us to know them. <laughs> they belonged to her. They were very private thoughts. And I said, I don't think she would want you to read her diary. I don't think she would like you to be aware of what her thoughts were about a lot of different attitudes. But we know that she prayed a lot. We know that she was a godly woman but I don't think it's appropriate for us to read her diary. 
And so I made the executive decision that nobody was going to read her diary. We were just going to destroy it. Uh, for it was her thoughts. They belonged to her. In this passage, we find out that there are certain thoughts that belong to God. They are his domain. So the application is there are spiritual mysteries that we do not know, that we were never intended to know, and furthermore, it is sinful for us to devise a means of trying to find them out, to know them. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be a found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer. Necromancer is a, a person who looks at dead entrails as a, a way of trying to determine uh, the future, or one who inquires the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. God has forbidden us to seek to understand spiritual mysteries apart from his word. Any way of us trying to ascertain the future, our understanding of future events apart from the scriptures is strictly forbidden. So anything from tarot cards to Ouija boards to you know, the eight ball to crystal balls, you name it. Any way of seeking to enter into spiritual mysteries other than through the word of God is strictly forbidden. The secret things belong to God. We are to content ourselves with and limit ourselves to that which is revealed in the word of God. Next, what are we to understand concerning revealed things? Well, the revealed things are spiritual mysteries that God has openly declared for the purpose of knowing them and doing them. The revealed things are things that God discloses. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. They come from God, even as we heard this morning how the scriptures come from God. He reveals things that we could not know any other way. There is no way for us to know how that world ends except through the word of God. If he would not have told us, we would not have known, but he has told us these things. They are things which were formerly only known to God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 7, it says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So there is this secret, hidden wisdom of God, which Paul says, now we reveal these things to you, because God had revealed them to Paul, and now they are revealed to us, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So the things that God reveals are things that don't come from one's personal experience. As I emphasized this morning, that the scriptures are so much more reliable than personal experience, for personal experience can fail us and it can lead us astray. But now this goes on and tells us that there are things that there isn't any other way to know. It isn't going to, you know, a guru or a very wise old individual who is going to tell you the secrets of the universe 
and what is in the mind of God. There's, there's no medium you can go to. There's no fortune teller you can go to. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that are revealed in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So God has made it known through the Holy Spirit, even as we talked about this morning. But three, however, God shares or gives these secrets to us. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So God has disclosed them. A, we know them no other way than through God's self-disclosure. God gives us his word by his spirit. And furthermore, God himself even helps us to understand these things. 1 Corinthians 2.10, but God has revealed them to us by the spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So God has given us his word in order to teach us spiritual truths, things that we could know no other way. And not only has he given us his word, but he has given us his spirit so that his spirit will teach us. His spirit will open our hearts and minds to understand these difficult things. But what we want to keep in mind tonight is that the revealed things are things that God wants us to know. They are disclosed to us and are now entrusted to us. For in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's his domain. But the things that are revealed belong to us. That's our domain. They are intended for our use and that of future generations. For it tells us in verse 29, they belong to us and to our children forever. I have here the illustration of a message board. When our children were still at home, uh, as they reached the teenage years, you know, you get into that situation where life is just crazy with all kinds of responsibilities and duties, and, and my wife had to be somewhere, and I'd have a meeting at night, and the kids had play practice, and they had band stuff that they had to go to. They had all kinds of stuff, and you know, we were like ships that were passing in the night, uh, and a lot of times we didn't even see each other between morning and night as we were going through all these things. So we had a message board. It was just a blackboard that was posted on the wall in the uh, kitchen. And if you were doing something, if there was some place you had to be, if there's something that you had a need of, you wrote it on the blackboard. And it was intended that everybody would read it so that everybody would know what's happening and everybody would be up to date. The whole purpose of the blackboard was to read it so that you're informed. The whole purpose of the scriptures is for us to read it so that we know it and so that we obey it. It's intended for us to be, it is intended for us to understand it. Next, revealed things are not given merely for our information, but rather for our instruction in godliness. Verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, for this reason that we may do all the words of this law. The word of God is never intended to be merely speculative or information. The word of God has been given to us so that we can win at Bible trivia. The word of God isn't given to us to satisfy our idle curiosity. It isn't given to us to demonstrate our knowledge, our wisdom, our prowess, our understanding. It's not given for us to show off. The Word of God is given to us so that we might know it and so that we then might obey it. The Word of God is to be believed and obeyed. It is not only our privilege to know these things, but also our duty to know these things. Verse 29, that ye may do all the words of this law. A, there is nothing that is revealed that is out of bounds for us to know. There is nothing that is revealed that we should not seek to understand. I remember a number of years ago, I preached a message on 
election, and I had a dear person come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor, I don't think you ought to talk about election. And I said, okay, why not? And he said, I don't think we were ever intended to understand it. And that is sometimes people's approach to the Word of God. There, there are things that, that God never intended us to understand. But the Word of God says these things were revealed to us. They belong to us, that we might do them, that we might know them. That, that those are the things that God wants us to wrestle with. Those are the things that, that God wants us to consider. Those are the things that we should dedicate ourselves to better understanding and appropriating. So see, we should spend our lives in better understanding and approaching these things. For it tells us, <clears throat> the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. All the words. That all of it would be understood and obeyed. So D, we should not give up just because some things are hard to understand. We should work at, and it is work, it is difficult to understand much of the scriptures and putting them together and spending the time to deal with the chronology, trying to keep track of, of the family trees and all the prophecies and everything else. It takes effort, it takes work. So let's look at some application for principles regarding Bible study. That is kind of a background leading into this idea that there are things we aren't intended to know, there are things that we should know, and so we want to focus on the things we should know and, well, how can we know them? A, we must enter into Bible study with a mindset that is content in limiting our understanding to what God has revealed. Number one, there are those that would seek to add to biblical instruction. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine. There are those that are going to teach spiritual truths that are not found in and are not compatible with the Word of God. We must learn to focus on what the text states and not speculate about what it does not state, okay? That's a very important principle in inductive Bible study. So many inductive Bible study materials raise questions with the intention of creating speculation. That's how it's going to create discussion. To raise questions that aren't in the text to ask you, what do you think lies behind this? Why do you think this person did that or this person did that? Or how would you feel if you were in that situation of which the text says nothing? It takes discipline to limit yourself to the text because people want to speculate. People like to hear their thoughts expressed out loud. People like to hear what other people have to say. So the first Discipline is confining yourself to what the text reveals and satisfying yourself with not asking questions about what the text does not reveal. And when I say that, we're talking now in terms of the whole text of the Bible. For there are things that are not revealed in one place that are revealed somewhere else. That's, that's fine. But ultimately, the answer has to come from the Word of God, not speculation. Number two, there are those that would seek to unravel mysteries from the Bible. 1 Timothy 1.4. In order to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. The Jews were really big on genealogies, and, and they thought that there were spiritual truths and mysteries that were revealed in these, these genealogies. And so you had to unravel them, and in particular... Uh, look for secrets that are found in these uh, genealogies. I've heard the example of the Bible Code. How many people are familiar with that book? One. I'm dating myself. 
All right. This was really popular numerous years ago. The Bible Code, an individual wrote this book, and he had thought that he found the secrets to what is hidden in the scriptures by numerical references. And so he would make a big deal out of various numerical references and talk about how many words are in certain books and what that means, etc. And how many of you have heard that number seven is the number of perfection? Right? Okay. Well, that's just one item. I mean, this guy came up with a whole slew of things. Well, there's no place in the scripture that says seven is the number of perfection. But there are those people that, that try to find codes, find, to try to find ways of interpreting the scripture that, that are new, novel, and are going to open up the mysteries of the scripture. That is false. Number three, this meaningless pursuit only triggers more answered questions. Not to devote themselves to myths and endless geologies which promote speculations. It only creates more questions of which, again, there are no answers for. But that is what so often people are interested in. They, they want the speculation, especially when it comes to prophecy, especially when it comes to the future. Uh, the, so much stuff has been written that is just the figment of people's imaginations of what they speculate that the Lord's return is going to be like, what life is going to be like. And, you know, the, and there are uh, all these movies, et cetera, that uh, have plots and, you know, talk about, you know, these people that are walking out of the house and all of a sudden they're gone. And, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, cars that are banging into each other because the drivers are gone and all this other stuff of which the Bible says nothing. But that's what people want to read. I would submit to you that there is much more Christian fiction that is read than Christian theology. Because the Christian fiction is entertaining. It's easy. It's what people would like to know. But it's not the word of God. Number five, we are not to be involved in any way with untruths that are found uh, in or outside, uh, outside and inside Christian circles. First Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Okay, just leave them behind. Number six, the meaningless speculation is to be replaced with thoughtful, disciplined pursuit of the full understanding of the scriptures alone. First Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Discipline yourself for godliness. Okay? Learn how to approach the scriptures. So B, we must enter into Bible study with a mind that is not content until we understand all that God has revealed. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approach as a work worker who has no need to be ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show yourself approved unto God. It's hard to come up with a good English translation of this word study or this word uh, to do your best. It's spazazo. It's, it's make every effort. Make every effort. It is to go above and beyond. It isn't easy. It is hard work. It is time consuming. And unfortunately, we live in such a time of biblical ignorance that it doesn't take much to become a Bible scholar, unfortunately. It doesn't take much to know more than the person who you run into in the bookstore or at the grocery store or at work. People don't know their Bibles. People don't know their Bibles. 
But unfortunately, Christians don't know their Bibles either. Uh, one challenge I, I would really encourage you to think about is can you think your way through entire books of the Bible? Can, can you think through the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus? You know what it's about? Can you summarize, you know, the, the chapters, Genesis 1's creation, Genesis 2, special events of creation, Genesis 3, fall of man, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, Genesis 5, genealogy, Genesis 6, flood is coming, Genesis 7, flood leaves, Genesis 8, flood leaves, Genesis 9, uh, covenant with God and Noah, uh, on and on, okay? And let me just say to you, one of the ways to do that and, and to, to, to try to get a hold of what a, a book of the Bible is all about is one of the approaches is to memorize, especially when you are in like the Pauline epistles, is to memorize the first verse of each chapter. So like in Romans, okay, it's not the first verse, but you know, Paul in Romans says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men who suppress the truth by means of their unrighteousness. And God's wrath is known because he has made it known unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. So it's talking about excuse, and that you're without excuse. And it moves from a study of creation to the conscience. And so Romans 2 says, therefore thou art without excuse, because you who judge others do the very same things. The very fact that we find fault with other people demonstrates the, what we know to be right and wrong. And when we find fault with others, we know that we do the same thing, so the finger should point back at us. Okay? So if we're talking about creation and we're talking about the conscience, Romans 3 says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Much every way, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. They have God's word which is far better than creation, which is far better than the human conscience, you have the word of God. And we can go through the whole book of Romans that way. But the interesting thing is, when you do that, you can go through the whole book of Romans. It makes sense. And you know where to go and find things. So those kinds of activities take time, they take discipline, but they pay dividends. How much of God's word do we really know? And if we don't know it, how can we appropriate it? And how can we live it? Okay? So, do your best. Study. Number one, we're to find a straight path through the Bible that is logically consistent with and true to the whole of the scriptures. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, when they're talking about rightly dividing, it's not talking about dividing it up into sections. It's talking about finding a straight path through. In uh, one of the, 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 the ways in which uh, engineers have made tunnels through uh, incredibly big mountains is by digging on both sides. And the difficulty is that people that are digging on either side have to come together in the middle and they have to come together <laughs> accurately. If they're five miles apart, that tunnel's not gonna work, okay? They've gotta meet in the middle. They've gotta rightly divide, okay? And that is the way in which we're to approach the scriptures. We are to find the straight path through them so that we are not contradicting what one portion of the scripture says with another portion of scripture. And uh, I think I've said that elsewhere, but I'm gonna say it now. And that is one of the reasons why I really encourage people to read the Bible through in a year and every year. Just to continue to get an overview of the entire Bible. I'll say more of that in just a moment. So number two, how can we study the Bible in such a way 
that it ensures that we are studying it accurately. What should we look for as we study? Here are some principles to help us with the, our approach to Bible study. First, we should look for key verses in a book of the Bible that provide theme statements. For example, John 20, 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You may be aware that a lot of times uh, when people are uh, seeking to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, when evangelists want to share the gospel with people, they encourage them to read the book of John. My own wife came to know the Lord Jesus as her Savior as a result of taking a class at the Reading Bible Institute and the assignment was, she was in the book of John to read the entire book of John. And in reading the book of John, the light went on, she understood the gospel, she trusted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. That's why John was written. 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus so that you may know that you have eternal life. So obviously the book of the Bible that you want to turn to to talk about assurance and how a person can know that they are saved is 1 John. That's why it was written, that you may know that you have eternal life. So you want to look for theme verses. Next, we should look for key verses that provide an outline for the book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. That is a divine inspired outline of the book of Revelation. There are so many arguments over the book of Revelation and what is history to us and what is future to us and, you know, what, what about the churches? Are, are they about every age or are they about the ages uh, that, uh, you know, existed at that time? Well, I don't want to be overly simplistic, but some things are pretty simple. And that is that the book of Revelation, you just look for verb tenses. The things that are past, the things that are present. The things that are past are Old Testament. Things that are present are the things in John's day. And the future are things that are future to John. So some of those may be history to us, but they're future to John. C, we should look for key verses that mark a transition of thought within a book of the Bible. For example, in Corinthians, Corinthians 7.1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So Paul, starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, is answering questions that were sent to him by the Corinthian believers. What should they do? Questions about what they should do if they're married to a non-believer. Should they continue with them in marriage or, or not? So that section of the book of Corinthians are question and answers. 1 Corinthians 12.1, now concerning spiritual gifts, the subject changes. Now he's going to deal with the subject of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 16.1, now concerning the collection for the saints. You, you see the repeated words that introduce particular subjects. If you're careful in reading the scripture, you will find those kinds of markings all over the word of God. D, we should look for key verses that provide the intended use for what is revealed. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isaiah 40. God tells us why he has given us Isaiah 40 and following. It's to be a comfort to his people. And some of the most comforting scriptures, unsurprisingly, are found in Isaiah 40 and following not. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Fear not. Words of comfort. Comfort. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, faints not, neither grows weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and uh, to those that have no strength. Even the youths will faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Words of comfort. That's what Isaiah 40 and following is all about. Number three, it is the disciplined study that will keep us from error. We're to resist the temptation to listen to those who pervert the scriptures. 2 Timothy 2.16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So avoid, avoid those books, those literature, those teachers that are going to lead you astray. Don't waste your time on inferior books of people that are in error. Don't spend your time trying to weed through and try to figure out what is truth and what is error. If it's mixed, just get rid of it and devote yourself to those materials that are of great best value. Read selectively. Read good books. One of my favorite quotes is from A.W. Tozer. When asked, what is a good book? Tozer said, a good book is a book that when you read, it causes you to put it down and pick up the Bible. Uh, inspirational books. Books that, that, that encourage you in your, your Christian faith. Books that impart understanding and knowledge and, and wisdom. Books that just excite you about the truths of God's word. Uh, Sarah gave me this wonderful poster uh, that I have framed in, in my study at home. Uh, it's a picture of uh, a large book. And its book is opened, and there is this heavy guy I think there's a purpose in this, but there's, there's this heavy guy. Uh, well, actually, it's a quote by Spurgeon, so I think it's supposed to be Spurgeon. He's sitting in a chair in front of a fireplace, and under it says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. That's so wise. Visit many good books. There's loads of place for good Christian literature, commentaries, etc., but live in the Bible. Devote yourself first and foremost to the scriptures. Let me jump down to number four, for some of that is, is repetitious. Number four, false teachers love to distort difficult to understand passages of scripture. All too often, the spiritual novice likes to develop into the most difficult portions of scripture to understand. 2 Peter 3.16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in terms of these matters, this is Peter talking about the writings of Paul, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. One of the biggest temptations and failures on the part of new Christians is they love to deal with the most difficult portions of Scripture. Resist the temptation. Resist the temptation. Grow in your faith. B, rather, we are to learn the Scriptures incrementally. Isaiah 28, 9. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the bread. Now we know that there's the milk of the word and there's the meat of the word. The milk of the word are the elementary things. The meat of the word are those tough and difficult things. 
problem is people want to jump to the meat before they're even able to handle the milk. Look at Isaiah 28.10. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It's talking about this exposure. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. It's a building of knowledge. So one, one does not study algebra before one learns to add and subtract. Common sense. All right? You don't start off with algebra before you can add and subtract. You don't start with the meat of the word before you know the milk of the word. Two, that is one reason I encourage people to read their Bible through in a year, then to continue the practice year after year. Number three, one can not really go into depth in studying a single portion of Scripture without a familiarity with all of the Scripture. You see, another failure that people make is limiting themselves to a very specific portion of Scripture and trying to get to know it intently and fully and trying to just wring out every bit of morsel there is in that book. You can only do that if you know all the other books. That is what's going to save you from a whole lot of error. But if you try to go in depth in just one book without knowing the fullness of the whole of the scriptures, I will guarantee you, you will quickly go into error. Because you're going to be starting to talk about things you don't understand. Things you don't know. And the references that are in these books that are referring to other portions of Scripture, you're not even going to be aware of them. And you aren't going to know the context. And you aren't going to know what's behind them. Okay? So if you really want to delve deep, you start with the overview. It takes time. It takes effort. But it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how the scripture says you are going to understand God's truth. Number four, we must avoid theological shortcuts. Uh, let me uh, go to the two verses above that. Um, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. 29. But Jesus answered them, you were wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. This is when they were asking Jesus about the resurrection and uh, uh, marriage in heaven. He says to these Pharisees, you don't know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. So number four, you must avoid theological shortcuts. What I mean by that is that so many times in order to know the Bible, people are taught systematic theology. They're, they are taught certain doctrines. And you learn the doctrine. And once you learn the doctrine, it becomes self-fulfilling. Once you learn the doctrine, you know that this is what the scripture has to say. You know what the outcome of the study is going to be. You, you, you've given the end, all right? Uh, it's like a, a, a cheat sheet, all right? This, this, this is what you should believe about election. This is what, and, and you know, if you've ever noticed, is I don't teach systematic theology. I teach biblical theology. That is, I work through a text. The way you want to understand theology is you want to know what the Bible says about it. It's simple to teach people wrote. It's simple to give people definitions and say, memorize this, and let me tell you all about the end and times, and tell you six things, and you get them down, and then you'll know the order, and you'll know all these things. There's no such thing as that shortcut. That's why so much error exists, because people learn what to believe from authorities rather than knowing what the scripture actually teaches and says. And they can't weigh what is being taught against what the scriptures say. See, the goal of the Bible study is always to become more committed and obedient to all that God has revealed to us. The word of God is not to be just informational. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Obedience to all that God has revealed to us is the primary responsibility of teachers. 
Now note, I did not write that it is primarily the responsibility of teachers. I wrote it is the primary responsibility for teachers. In other words, as a teacher, the most important thing for you is, first of all, to know the word. The example of Ezra in Ezra 7.9. For on the first day of the week, of the month, he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of the Lord was, of God was on him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to study the law of the Lord. So he prepared his heart to study. Next, and to do it. And then thirdly, to teach his, that is God's statutes and rules in Israel. He sought to know it, he sought to do it, and then he sought to teach it. That's the right order. The Bible teacher does not have the luxury of saying, do what I am saying, not what I do. Now, I'm not perfect, and I'm not claiming to be perfect. And if you're going to declare the scriptures, you are going to be talking about things that you don't measure up to, all right? And I hope we all understand that. But at the same time, we can't divorce ourselves from the responsibility of trying to be an example. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've learned, what you've seen in me, Paul tell, tells Timothy, be thou an example. Everywhere in Scripture, the teacher is to be an example. And as an example, they then are to be an inspiration. Number D, we must enter into Bible study with a mindset that understands blessing is associated with obedience to the Word of God and not merely time spent in the Word. James 1, 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The blessing is not in reading. The blessing is in obedience. Okay? God is not going to reward you because you spend an hour a day reading the Bible. The blessing doesn't come in merely reading. It comes in obedience. Now, you can't be obedient without knowing, and you aren't going to be obedient without the word, but apart from obedience, the word actually isn't a blessing, but it's a curse. Or in the book of James, it says, don't be many teachers, knowing that you're going to experience the more severe judgment. God holds us accountable for what we know. And he expects us to be obedient. Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that verse read and stopped there. And I've heard people say the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible where it says there's a blessing just in reading it. Look what the verse says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who, who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. It isn't just the reading of it, it is the obedience to it, it's the keeping of it, it's the obeying it. Revelation 22, 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I'm out of time. In conclusion, let me just say, let us really value the scriptures. And when I say value the scriptures, I mean give ourselves to the scriptures. The secret things belong unto the Lord. Leave them alone. There's plenty for us to wrestle with in the word of God. There's many delightful things for us to know. 
And we shouldn't give up until we know them all and we understand them all. It's going to be a life pursuit. But I could give you stories. One of the reasons I just love the Puritans is how they devoted their lives to the Word of God. Uh, he wasn't a, a Puritan, but his name was Cruden. And Cruden came up with the first concordance of the Bible, long before there were computers or anything else. And he spent every night that he came home from work just with a tablet and a pencil writing down every single word, every place it was found. And he kept charts. And he came up with the first Bible concordance. Took him years of his life. He was dedicated to trying to know and to teach the Word of God. Let's give ourselves. God has given this, this incredible book that will answer what we need to know, give us the wisdom for the living of our lives, guard and protect us from all harm and difficulty, and open new ways of praise and thanksgiving as we reflect upon the goodness of God and all that he's done for us. It's in his word. Let's pray. Help us, O oh God, to dedicate ourselves to your word. Help us to know it, and Lord, to obey it, to, to live it out, to your honor and to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.